We are back off of the first weekend in March. Yes, the month is here. The madness, the mayhem. It is all about to commence with conference tournaments, then Selection Sunday, and then the 2019 NCAA Men's Division I Basketball Championship known as the NCAA Tournament. March Madness, it's the best. Welcome in. I'm your host of College Basketball Coast to Coast, TJ Reeves. I've enlisted some great help again to join me for this week's edition of the podcast coming off of the weekend. Of course, my analyst, the former Purdue and South Florida assistant, Mark Wise, part of the 1980 Purdue coaching staff as Purdue went to the Final Four that year. He's also worked uh, several national championship wins by the Florida Gators in the NCAA Tournament, currently works for the ESPN family of networks. Uh, as well as working with me as part of our coverage on TuneIn of Championship Week. Look forward to talking with Mark primarily about the SEC, but I'm going to get kind of a theme here. Uh, What does he think about his four top seeds right now in the NCAA tournament? And I'll have him uh, give me some insight into those. And also one of the things that I'll ask him about, yes, you can get into the tournament by winning, but what happens when you start stumbling and bumbling around and losing games at the end of the year, uh, bad losses that could hurt a team like St. John's trying to get in uh, at large, like a team like Arizona State that's trying to get in uh, at large. And uh, on and on down the list, if you're in the Big 12, if you're in the Big 10, you can't afford to stumble with other teams around you with resume building. So Mark will be here to talk about that. Looking forward to also talking with Joe Nardone of CBB Today, the uh, purveyor of that site. Um, It does a great job with their website, talking nonstop college basketball. I'll get his thoughts on uh, on right now how things are going with his top four seeds also uh, see what Joe thinks about Zion Williamson and Duke as they get ready to finish their stretch run play North Carolina then be in the uh, ACC tournament uh, how many number one seeds are going to come out of the ACC tournament we'll put that uh, to Joe Nardone and I'll have him also give me a team that's maybe not getting as much attention as they should kind of a sleeper a team to watch out for in March we'll see what Joe has to say about that as he comes on uh, the podcast Matt Zimmick will also be here with me as part of free throw awareness month love Matt's work Uh, He also does things with CBBToday.com, but uh, he and I love talking free throws this time of the year in college basketball and how free throws, well, they can destroy a family. So Matt will be here as part of Free Throw Awareness Month and the hashtag FT Awareness Month. I want you to go to that hashtag FT Awareness Month to find out more about the merchandise we have, get the shirts in your school's colors. Uh, We're going to be marketing this. Uh, You can follow it on Twitter as well, at Free Throw Awareness Month. March is that month. And friends don't let friends miss front ends for Free Throw Awareness Month. So Matt Zimmick will be here later in the podcast on College Basketball Coast to Coast. A reminder, however you found us, whether that is through CBBToday.com, maybe you found us on Spreaker.com as well. Subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher for this podcast all throughout March. We'll be doing live-to-tape shows. We'll also be doing some live programming as well that you'll be able to find uh, through College Basketball Coast to Coast all through March and around conference tournaments, NCAA tournament, and then the Final Four in Minneapolis as well. So again, however you found the show, subscribe. Uh, Find us uh, through Spreaker. Find us through iTunes, through Stitcher. It's college basketball, coast to coast. Find the show, rank the show, rate the show, and have it move up. Uh, And again, you can follow us on social media at CBB Coast to Coast. Uh, as well to keep up with the program and all of the guests. I know I'm shooting a lot of social media at you, but again, uh, find us at CBB Coast to Coast on Twitter uh, as well. All right, so lots of college basketball to get to. Yes, there are some games that you just can't figure out coming off the weekend. I mean, as impressive as Tennessee was with their win over Kentucky, how do you figure Michigan State goes to Indiana and loses again to the uh, the Hoosiers? The Hoosiers who had lost 12 of 13 games at one point in this Big Ten season with the lone win being against Michigan State. They beat them a second time, uh, did the Hoosiers, over Sparty. Damaging Michigan State's hopes to win the Big Ten regular season and be a number one seed. So uh, some of this just defies explanation watching some of these games. What do we make of that race with Duke, Carolina, and Virginia all winning in the ACC? Can Kansas still get in in the Big 12 uh, race or not? We're going to talk all about this. They got a, they, they got a big exhale. In Lawrence on on the weekend in Lawrence, Kansas, for that matchup with Oklahoma State where they were losing a lot of that game but found a way to win. They're still alive for the moment. Uh, Kansas trying to win uh, another Big 12 championship, uh, at least an outright or a co-Big 12 title in 14 straight years for Bill Self's team. 
Let's see if they can find a way to make it 15 down the stretch run in the Big 12. So, Again, it's that time of the year. It's March. I'm anxious to tell you much more about it as we go along uh, here as part of College Basketball Coast to Coast. And a reminder, we are sponsored in part by LRT Sports, a great resource for the high school athlete. Uh, Whether you are one, whether you're a parent, a family member who has one, or maybe friends that know of a high school athlete looking to go to college on that full scholarship, trying to figure out what's the right school, who's the right coach for that athletic program, We'll go to lrt-sports.com. LRT Sports, great new website, also on social media, uh, et cetera, uh, at LRT Sports to rate the coaches, rate the schools uh, from people that have been there, uh, that have been playing for those different coaches. And I'm talking about all divisions, Division One, Division Two, all the way down to NAIA or JUCO. They rate the coaches as part of LRT Sports, as they like to say at LRT Sports, Bust a bracket, not your recruiting process. So go to LRT Sports. They're proud sponsors of what we're doing here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. The website again, lrt-sports.com, particularly if you have a high school athlete in your family looking towards signing day in April, trying to figure out those schools and those scholarships. What do other people that have played at that school for those coaches in all sports now? We're not just talking about basketball. We're not just talking about football, the biggest two. We're talking about lacrosse, swimming, softball, tennis, Whatever it is, they have coach ratings all over the place, school ratings all over the place. Great resource, lrt-sports.com. They're sponsors here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. With that out of the way, let's get to our guest. Let's get to the conversation. Let's tip it up. Here we go, Coast to Coast. Continuing along, won't be long now. We're inside of two weeks to Selection Sunday, and we're thrilled to be all over it as part of College Basketball Coast to Coast. And Mark Wise, my analyst, a former Purdue and South Florida assistant, longtime analyst with me, Sirius XM, Fox Sports Radio, tune-ins coverage, can't wait for championship week, and being around Mark for part of the Horizon League Championship, the Sun Belt Championship, and then the NCAA Tournament getting underway, he's with me right now as part of this program. Good to be with you as you worked some SEC action last week. So let's dive right in with that. First of all, let's begin with what happened since last we talked to you. Tennessee not only got the big win on Saturday over Kentucky, but before that, they pulled out a barn burner against Ole Miss. You worked the game on the SEC Network in Oxford. So huge, huge week, as it turns out, for the Big Orange. As they got that win on the road at Oxford, followed it up with a decisive win over Kentucky. Just give me an overall thought on Tennessee since last we talked about them. Well, it's an easy team to like because they can beat you in so many different ways. I said earlier in the year, and I still believe this, they probably have the best M.O. at winning a game in the 60s and 70s, but they can also win a game in the 80s and 90s. And the game against Ole Miss was just big-time hoops. It had a March feel to it, even though it was the end of February, and I know we ended the game. Uh, with the uh, um, controversial block charge call. I said on the air, I thought it was a charge at the time. I thought Schofield got set. I thought it was a good call. And I think most everybody feels that way. And then we had the play at the end where, where I'm calling it the hidden walk call. And I'm only saying that because I didn't see Pat Adams with the travel signal until the third different angle you're in a different position at Ole Miss as a broadcaster, and so you cannot see the corner to your right and left. And I was blocked out. But when I saw it, he did indeed make the travel call, but it happened right uh, as, the, uh, uh, as the clock was going from point one to point zero, and, of course, you cannot score in that amount of time, so it was ball game over. Yeah, it was a wild ending, a technical two on Kermit Davis. Uh, but I, I choose to also focus on Grant Williams making the heroic shot before right. all that mayhem happened. You saw him up close, uh, courtside. How good is that guy? And I guess the logical follow-up to it is how far can he help carry them in the postseason? Well, he's got a lot of help. That's the thing that I think is the reason why they have the ability to make a deep run. They have... First of all, can Grant Williams play at the next level? I'm not sure. I think it'll be close. I think he's a winner. I think he, he stands for the right thing. I think he's an underrated passer. Of course, as we all know, TJ, the, the question becomes, can you knock down threes? I mean, that's a simple equation. 
He's worked on that part of the game. He's been much better. As a matter of fact, against uh, Kentucky on Saturday, he knocked down a couple of three balls. So that'll be that. That'll be the interesting part of watching him evolve at the next level. Tennessee. Let me get back to them. Uh, you've got pro talent to make a deep run. I think you have to have these four things. You have to have pro talent. Tennessee has that. Doesn't doesn't have to be NBA, but it certainly would help. You have to have great guard play. How good was Jordan Bone? Mm. on Saturday yep. against Kentucky. I mean, they couldn't guard him. So you got to have great uh, guard play. you got to be healthy. So that brings in Reed Travis, Kentucky to mine. That brings in Kansas minus Azabuki. Uh, teams that lose players, Gonzaga, will they get t- uh, Killian Tilly back or not? But I think you've got to be healthy. And then somewhere along the way, TJ, you and I have discussed this for years, the basketball gods have got to smile on you, whether that's a – last-second shot or a shot that was missed, a call that went your way, a call that blocked charge that didn't go your way. It's just something out of your control, and maybe that's the beauty of the NCAA tournament. A perfect example is the the, uh, recent one of Michigan a year ago, opening round game with Houston in the NCAA tournament, where Houston makes the last-second shot uh, at the end of of, of regulation up by one, Michigan timeout has to throw the ball the length of the court. Jordan Poole right. catches it midcourt, takes a dribble and shoots a 40-footer that honestly turn, catch, and shoot. He's maybe got, in fairness, a 1-5 yep. in chance, maybe a 1-8 in eight chance of making that from 40 feet, and it goes in, and they not only win that game, they win four more, and they're in the national championship game. If if the other uh, you know four times or the other seven times out of eight it clanks off the backboard of the rim they're home so sometimes you do have to catch yeah, a again, break again and late Houston missed a couple of free throws it right. set that whole thing up so uh, yeah you, you you would like to think that uh, luck doesn't come into play but it certainly plays oh a role. absolutely and there was nothing lucky to use your word about what Tennessee did to Kentucky to follow it up on Saturday, stifling them, holding them to their lowest point total, uh, lowest shooting percentage on the season. Uh, how much do you credit Tennessee's defense for that in the rematch win, the revenge win in Knoxville that took place Saturday? Well, I don't want to belittle this at all, the win, but let's face facts here. Reed Travis did not play for Kentucky. Why is that important in that matchup? Because in the first game, he beat up on Grant Williams. I don't mean that in a negative way. It's a great matchup for Kentucky with Reed Travis on Grant Williams. Grant Williams only got, I think, four field goal attempts in the first game. That's not too far off. He goes for 20-plus uh, last Saturday. So it's, it's a huge difference. What I find funny is about all of this, TJ, is that when Kentucky waxed Tennessee, everybody wanted to talk about all of a sudden what's wrong with Tennessee. And after the other day now, everybody wants to talk about what's wrong with Kentucky. I mean, these are two teams that are very much capable of making it to Minneapolis. All right, I like that assessment. Okay, so some, you know, we talked to Jerry Palm last week. I did this on another show, and Jerry Palm said to me, I believe Kentucky's a one seed, Tennessee's a two seed. But again, all of this, for all the guys projecting the bracket, for everybody trying to figure this out, all of it's subject to change according to what happens the last two weeks. It's what makes it so great. So now Tennessee has won the rematch. In your mind, I'm asking you, do you believe that that puts Tennessee back on the one line right now and it's it's theirs kind of within their control to stay on the one line did it knock Kentucky off the one line uh give me some thoughts on that I think you have to evaluate Kentucky and that's the hard part of this equation um Kentucky's at Ole Miss on Tuesday night depending on when you are listening to it uh does Reed Travis play in that game I think the only way Kentucky um it is remains on the one line without Reed Travis is if they went out. If they show the committee that we're still worthy of doing that. If they lose somewhere along the way, and Ole Miss will not be an easy out on Tuesday night, I promise you. Uh, you know, t- Tennessee hosts Mississippi State on Tuesday night, so all kind of great games in the SEC this week. Uh, Florida hosts LSU on Wednesday night. But getting back, right now I think um, – Overall, I'm putting Kentucky on the one line, but I want to see them play more games without Reed Travis. And more importantly, I want to see them play with Reed Travis. 
Uh, but in fairness here, uh, again, the Big Ten, the Big 12 are the two teams that are higher ranked in the net ranking, the new NCAA net ranking for conferences. The SEC is third. I, I think it would be hard to believe. I know you didn't cover this part, but I'm just putting this out there as my opinion. It would be hard to believe that the SEC would get two number one seeds over the Big oh, Ten uh, getting two yeah. number one seeds. And I don't know that the Big 12 will get two number one seeds, but they might. I don't know. Well, that, we got to let all of this sort out here in the next couple of weeks. And the conference tournament may play into that, too. Whoever wins in Nashville may ultimately be uh, the one seed. We'll, we'll find out. Hey, I, will yeah. tell you, I will tell you this. The wild card in the number one seeds is Gonzaga. Because I don't think anybody can beat them in their conference. I, I think they're a given. And that will, that alone will knock somebody from that one line to the two. Yeah, and Gonzaga is deserving of being there when you consider they beat Duke on the neutral floor and won in Maui. They did lose to Tennessee on the neutral floor, but they haven't lost in 2019. Say what you want about their schedule. <laughs> I mean, they are tremendous, so it's it's very tough to argue that they don't deserve the one line. We'll see. We'll see how that part plays out. And again, I, I preface all, all of our conversations with saying, now you may know the results of Tuesday night's game when you're hearing us on College Basketball Coast to Coast. You may know that Mississippi State upset Tennessee, for example. We don't know that. You may know that Ole Miss upset Kentucky. We don't know that while we're talking. We're taking the givens coming off the weekend here of having watched some of the action and, and seeing how this uh, unfolds. Give me an overall thought on this conference at this stage uh here and you've got six programs that are inside the top 40 of the net you've got alabama just outside of it at number 54 uh in the net it's i think isn't it a given they're going to get six we talked about this with you before they're probably going to get seven teams out of the 14 in the ncaa tournament right the sec I think seven is a given. I, I think the question becomes whether or not the eight uh, it gets in there, and, and most likely that will be Alabama in terms of teetering in, the, in Bubbleville and whether or not they can survive uh, the rest of the season and looking at the SEC tournament in Nashville. I think Florida, even though they lost at Georgia uh, to Georgia at home the other night, I think right now the Gators, when you uh, compare them to other resumes, They are safely in. Now, could they go south because they've got LSU at home this week and they go to Lexington and play Kentucky on the weekend? So they could very easily enter the SEC tournament with three consecutive losses. Uh, Then you need to be concerned if you're a Gator fan. Yep, and again, it may be with seeding. And I misspoke. It's seven teams, seven SEC teams inside the top 40. Alabama is just outside of it. And the Crimson Tide lost to LSU uh, on the weekend. So we are talking some SEC basketball. My my guy, Mark Wise, analyst, uh, here with me working those games on ESPN. Mark will be uh, working Missouri and Georgia coming on Saturday. And then on Sunday, or, uh, I'm sorry, on Wednesday. And then on Saturday, you've got those Mississippi State Bulldogs who we shouldn't forget about. Although, uh, look, uh, it's a knockdown, dragout affair right now in the SEC because Mississippi State took a loss as well on the weekend um uh, as uh, to Auburn at Auburn and you've got them coming this Saturday as well for Ben Howland's team in their finale uh coming up in Starkville with that matchup with Texas A&M uh and all of this sets into motion what's going to go on in Nashville where maybe somebody like an Alabama or a Florida solidifies their case with a with a run in Nashville with a couple of wins on the neutral floor the following week Mark Here's what I want to draw everyone's attention to LSU, Kentucky, Tennessee, they're battling out the top three spots uh, for the SEC regular season title. But in my view, the more important issue is who's the two, three, two seed and who's the three seed because they will be on a collision course in the semifinals. There's no question that in the SEC this year, after the top three, there is a big gap. So if you're the number one seed in the SEC tournament, I think you have a big-time advantage in terms of advancing to the championship game. All right, love that. All right, so another philosophical thing, as we talk about uh, brackets, et cetera, uh, year after year you and I have done this, and w- one thing that, uh, that we keep coming back to, your victories are important. Your victories are obviously uh, huge. Who you've beaten is huge. 
but also losses at the end of the year can do damage to your resume. And an example might be St. John's outside of the SEC, where St. John's has three fantastic wins in the Big East, a sweep of Marquette, a win over Villanova at home, and everybody was dancing and jumping around and saying, Chris Mullen, they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Well, they go and lose to Xavier at home at the Carnesecca Arena in Queens on the campus. They then lose on the weekend at DePaul. Are they a bad loss or two here from being in jeopardy again because the losses at the end damage their resume? I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, if you are talking about any team in or around or living in Bubbleville right now, losses become important. I've always said everybody wants to say that a bad loss offsets a good win. No, that has never been the case. That is never true. But if you're competing against other bubble teams, can a loss then knock you down below somebody? Absolutely. So I think for, for all those teams in Bubbleville right now, the L's are almost as important as the wins. And, and St. John's... Or I should say avoiding the L's. Avoiding, the, avoiding those L's because St. John's is 61 in the net. That's low. Right. Now, in the strength of schedule, for example, uh, they're 64 overall, but they're 22 in the non-conference. Played a tough schedule. They have six quadrant one wins. But again, to put this in perspective for losing at the end, they lose that game to Xavier, who's 70 in the net. They lose to DePaul, who's 104 in the net. They have Xavier again at Xavier, which could be a third straight loss to end the season. That's coming this Saturday. They don't play during the week. They're off until Saturday. Now you go to the Garden, and if you lose to somebody of the ilk of Butler or Providence or Xavier a third time, if it were to happen, that's not in the top 50 of the net, it could be a nervous few days for the Red Storm. I think that's fair on how they finished and who they lost to, uh, because again, they also lost to Providence in uh, in February twice uh, as well. So you, you have some questionable losses uh, right now on that resume for the St. John's Red Storm, and you agree with me. It could be if, if they don't win this weekend and they lose their opening round game in the Big East, going to be a very nervous yep. 72 to 96 hours, yes? Yes, and and the point there is this. If you're a power conference team and you're on the bubble, the conference tournament is really for you. It's your opportunity to make a last statement with some kind of win to move on. So, uh, again, we get so caught up, and I just did it myself, LSU, Tennessee, Kentucky in the SEC tournament. The SEC tournament is probably more important, as a matter of fact, I will tell you right now, it is more important for the Floridas, the Alabamas, the Mississippis of the world than it is the LSU, yeah. Kentucky, Tennessee. In terms of in terms of playing their way in, they could do damage over the course of a couple of days that ensures it. And one thing that selection committees have said consistently for years and years and years, yes, there are teams playing their way in, but far more often over the course of the last couple of weeks in the tournament, there are teams that had an opportunity and played their way out or lost their way out and didn't do enough uh, to get in. TJ? That's what makes it great. Yeah, go ahead. I'm only glad you're not asking me about Indiana because I have no idea (laughs) how to make out Indiana and their resume. Well, I mean, let's just talk about them for just a second here because, again, they've got the two wins over Michigan State, but they're 55 in the net. So they've got six Quadrant One wins. Their non-conference RPI is 44, which again goes back to the criteria oh, of good. scheduling people. Oh, but good. but again, listen. I mean, I know I know it's the Big Ten and they're tough. Uh, but they but they had what's a seven, their conference record, right? They had a seven-game losing streak earlier in the Big Ten. They upset Michigan State, then they lose five more in a row. Granted, they're all against good teams, so that is losing 12 out of 13 games before they turn around and beat Wisconsin, who's 17 in the net, and Michigan State again, who's 8 in the net. I've got to say at the moment, they finish with Illinois and Rutgers. Neither one of those two are going to really help them. i got to believe that Indiana's got to win two big-time games in Chicago at the United Center, or they're an NIT team just based on... 12 losses in 13 games in the middle of their schedule in the Big 12. I don't care about the sweep of Michigan State. Do you agree? We don't know, but do you agree with that? The only reason we're having this conversation, though, is because the 
sweep of Michigan State. Right. So you can't discount that. What is gaining a lot of traction nationally is this concept of you must be at least 500 in your league in order to qualify for the NCAA tournament. I've been kind of slow to come around to that, but I got to tell you, Indiana, the best that they can do is eight and 12 in league play. Does that were is that worthy of an NCAA at large bid? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll see if that's the case. And and I know Jerry Palm was saying this last week that that committee does not look at your conference record uh, as a conference record. It just looks at your games and looks at your opponents. That's what they're supposed to do. So you may be uh, nine and nine in your conference, but who? Here we go back to it. Who are the nine wins against, and who are the nine losses against to damage you when you're comparing against other teams? Let's put it this way: uh, for Archie Miller's uh, uh, resume and for his long-term job security, he needed last week those two wins. Oh. I mean, they were at the door potentially in year two, Wolves at the door for Indiana basketball. He gets those wins, uh, and now if they end up winning one or both of the last two, you got to be feeling good about a possible NIT spot because they're Indiana when, uh, when, they, when it was looking very bleak there for a while. It's what makes this time of the year so great. And again, the Hoosiers, this is your point, could go to Chicago where they're playing the likes of Purdue or Maryland, uh, name one, Michigan, teams that are in front of them, and they or Iowa, they win two or three games or a couple of games like that. It helps their resume even more, and we don't know that for a couple of weeks, Mark. I agree totally. All right, so we'll see on Indiana. Very hard to figure out the sweep on Michigan State. And did that damage Michigan State once and for all to be a number one seed, losing to Indiana twice on their schedule? That that may be something that detracts against them. All right, a uh, couple of more moments here with different teams, different situations and things uh, that we're looking at. Uh, one thing that we talked about before is end-of-game uh, situations and officials and not wanting to be part of the end of it, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, Tennessee fans had no problem with your ending it at Ole Miss in Oxford with one second left and a foul call after they had so much of a problem with the loss at LSU they had no problem with the with the finish in Oxford when the foul call went their way uh but just as a general comment I mean you want the officials to basically be anonymous at the end of these things and, and settle it but uh you know one thing that struck me again watching on Sunday coming off the weekend it's a game that did not really have NCAA tournament implications but USF then you've worked some of their games uh, this year and last year under Brian Gregory. They've had a nice season. They're playing an end-of-the-year game against UConn. At UConn, Danny Hurley's team has really struggled. They're not an NCAA tournament team. But that game ended on a potential last-second shot not even being taken. The long inbound with USF down by two is deflected. The UConn player, much like your game last Wednesday, Mark, appeared to walk with the ball with time on the clock. No call, no review of it to see if there was any time left. I mean, you know, some of these things you just shake your head at on the officiating at the end of games, and you don't want the striped shirts to be part of the finish, especially when we get to March. But there was another example of one where it was it was very curious. Remember the Big East tournament, wasn't it? John Burr and the and the Big East officiating crew about four or five years ago kind of walked off the yep. floor and didn't officiate the last two seconds, and there was a travel in a one in a one score game that they didn't call. You don't want that. You don't want that to be part of this. Again, I'm not in the camp that you don't want the officials part of the outcome at the end. I want them to call the foul. Right. If there's a foul, call the foul. If there's a violation, call the violation. I don't know why uh, an official wouldn't go in that situation to look at the monitor, only to look at the timing issue because you cannot officiate a play. What does that mean? That means you can't go and see that there was a travel, but you didn't call it, and then officiate to play and make the travel call so in that particular situation the only reason they could go to the monitor would be to check the timing yeah and in that case they considered it game over no travel call again back to your point of earlier in our conversation pat adams was signaling travel in the final seconds on the ten on the final second of the tennessee inbound and so they could look at the clock and his travel call and and when did he raise his hand to make the signal to stop the clock and all of that so uh we'll see 
Uh, we did we did debate this last week. If it's a foul at the end, call the foul. If it's a violation, call it. And they are gonna they are gonna go and uh, and use review. All right, couple more uh, before I go. We're not gonna do three wise men on this one, but I got a couple more for you. If I say to you right now, four one seeds. I heard the name Gonzaga earlier. Uh, is Duke definite? Yes, or is it is it the Duke Carolina winner on Saturday night? Plus, whoever wins the ACC tournament, who are the Mark Wise number one seeds right now heading into the final week of the regular season? I think it's the ACC winner. I think it's the SEC winner if it comes from either Kentucky or Tennessee. I think it's Gonzaga. I think those three are the locks. I think the wild card becomes out of the Big Ten, Michigan State, Michigan. Uh, if one of those two teams can win the Big Ten tournament, then I think they will get the fourth number one. And, and they I play, think the, and, they, and if I can interject, they play each other in the regular season finale this weekend and could play right. each other three times in three weekends at the Big Ten tournament. And that's what it may come down to for the, for the Big Ten representative and maybe a number one seed, right? No question about it. So I think, again, that's why I mentioned earlier Gonzaga is the wild card here. Not because they may become a number two seed. It's just that they take for sure one of those four number one seeds. All right, and and as we make mention of them one more time, I'll go over their resume uh, just because p- people don't see a lot of their – I mean, they've been destroying, Mark, and you know this, everybody in the West Coast Conference, but you go back uh, and look at what they did in the pre-conference season. They're 4-2 and two right. in, in Quadrant 1 games. Their RPI strength of schedule is 53 overall, even with their conference. Their non-conference RPI is 8. So that tells you that the, the strength of schedule is good. They beat Illinois, Arizona, and Duke in Maui. They have a win over Creighton in the, of the Big East. They have a win over Washington of the Pac-12. They lost to Tennessee. They lost at North Carolina. But, I mean, they have, they have enough uh, of a strength of schedule out of the conference and enough of those wins. They also have a win, by the way, over Texas A&M in, in Spokane earlier in the year, too. So they've, they've beaten numerous Power Six teams, including the Big East, and then, they, again, they haven't lost since December the 18th, uh, rocking along lock. in their conference. So that, that says something. They're a lock. Yeah. They're a lock. Number and one uh, seed is the, only, the only lock. thing that would trip that is if somebody were to beat them in the West Coast Conference Tournament maybe early. Then you might have an argument to put them on the two line. But right now you're saying even with that, it looks like they are going to be a one seed. That's not happening. Yeah, that's that the is that they not play. happening. All right. The, the man has spoken here. I love Mark Wise's analyst work. Uh, again, you've got Missouri and Georgia the midweek. Not exactly a great one with great implications, but then you've got Mississippi State and Texas A&M uh, battling uh, in Starkville on Saturday and a whole bunch of other important SEC games. We defer to you and looking at this conference because uh, there's a whole bunch of those that are significant on Tuesday and Wednesday uh, as all of the action unfolds. So uh, we'll see. As, as you made mention, uh, the games Tuesday night, Mississippi State against Tennessee. We don't know that result at the time we're talking. Kentucky at Ole Miss, Auburn at Alabama. Alabama very much needs that game. It's a revenge game against an Auburn team that beat them earlier in the year. Wednesday night, Florida LSU rematch with Florida having gotten a recent win at the Bayou Bengals uh, that was significant. Um, and then on the weekend, here we go with the finales, uh, Tennessee at game. Auburn. Oh, my That's Lord. Right. Yeah, Tennessee. That at, is you think right that Tennessee there. Auburn game is the sleeper, huh? Yeah, I, I think that's a high noon start, I believe. And uh, you know, Tennessee hosts Mississippi State. We all knew Tennessee's schedule was backloaded, uh, much like the way Kentucky's is, much like the way Florida's is. Um, but Tennessee down the stretch here, uh, um, Mississippi State at home at Auburn. That's a tough week. Kentucky. Um, uh, has Florida on on the weekend, so uh, Alabama cannot trip up Saturday. I don't think at Arkansas that brings it. If they lose there, then that becomes means the SEC tournament is even more important for the Tide. So uh, a lot of good stuff out of this league. No doubt about that. A lot of good stuff from this guy. We'll be watching you as part of the SEC network coverage and on ESPN on the weekend of that Mississippi State uh, showdown with Texas A and M. Mark Wise, as always, thank you, and we're getting closer to Selection Sunday. I always appreciate the knowledge here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. All right, thanks, TJ.
It is college basketball coast to coast. And again, we're brought to you in part by Free Throw Awareness Month, that hashtag FT Awareness Month. Go to that hashtag. Go to the Twitter handle as well, at Free Throw Awareness Month, because we're talking all about teams that are either making them or missing them and perhaps damaging or destroying their postseason hopes in the month of March. We've got merchandise available. You can find out more about your favorite school colors for Free Throw Awareness Month for the shirts and the merchandise. Uh, Giveaways that we've got coming along down the pike for the month of March. Check it out as part of the hashtag Free Throw Awareness Month on social media, on Twitter. Use that hashtag. And again, my colleague Matt Zimmick will be by to talk more about Free Throw Awareness Month more in this podcast a little bit later on. But again, uh, we're all about it. Friends don't let friends miss the front ends. It's the hashtag FT Awareness Month. It's Free Throw Awareness Month. It's here upon us. Make those foul shots. I make mention of his site, and I always love the insight of one Joe Nardone and CBBToday.com, who is back with me here as part of the College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast. Good to have you. We flipped the calendar to the month, the month of March. I know you're as excited as I am because we're finishing up regular season play. We got automatic bids that are coming out for this weekend. We're less than two weeks from Selection Sunday. It is all here, my friend. Oh, I'm so pumped. It's it's my favorite time of the year, obviously. It's Christmas for a college basketball fan. I looked in the obituary today. I didn't see our names in it, so I knew today was going to be a, a, a really good day. So I'm, I'm super pumped to go. There's actually conference tournament games starting this week. Like, yeah. It's insane. We're, we're, we're in it now. We're actually in the madness of March. Well, and so for a lot of these teams, they have an opportunity, and especially in the bigger conference, to improve their resume. But there are some that are living the dream of maybe winning that conference tournament. I mean, for example, in the, uh, in the Southern Conference, where it looks like it's Wofford or Furman, uh, for that league, somebody else could steal the automatic bid. You don't think it's going to happen, but it could happen. Uh, we, we have Buffalo rubber stamp for the NCAA tournament as an at-large team, but somebody else in the MAC could knock them off, could win that tournament. Same thing, uh, not likely, as we talked with Mark Wise earlier in this podcast. Gonzaga, more than likely, they've destroyed almost everybody, rolls through the, the West Coast Conference tournament. But then again, somebody could snag a bid out of that conference. Same thing, Ohio Valley with somebody against uh, Murray State and and, and John Morant. Uh, They might be able to steal the automatic bid in that conference. That's what makes this week, this weekend, and these conference tournaments, it makes it great, the intrigue of who can go grab an automatic bid that you're not expecting. Oh, I'm 100% with you, especially this year when the field's so weak, where the traditional one-bid leagues might get two because of that reason. If Vermont loses in the AEC finals to Stony Brook, say. They might sneak in. The SoCon, if the third team wins, they may get three teams in. And then, as you mentioned, Gonzaga, maybe San Francisco wins the tournament. Then you get, even though that's not a traditional one bit league, but maybe they get two and one of them is not St. Mary's. So it's a really exciting time of the year. Yeah, no doubt. And we saw, like, for example, Utah State the other night beat Nevada. A lot of people believe, okay, Nevada is definitely in. Is the Mountain West going to get two? Could they possibly get a third? Did Utah State solidify themselves with that win the other night with their resume, or do they still have work to work to do? What do you think, Joe? Well, I mean, they still have a little bit of work to do, but if we're going to consider you know, Big Ten teams with 35 losses, you might as well throw them in the mix as well. <laughs> maybe not 35, but maybe at least 7 or 8 or 10. Uh, hey, just a quick one on that. So Mark and I were talking about Indiana uh, before you came on here on this College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast. What do you make of them with having lost 12 out of 13 games at one point in the middle of the Big Ten schedule, the heart of it, and and coming down the stretch. Now they've beaten Wisconsin and Michigan State in back-to-back games, granted at home. What do we make of them, and do they have any hope short of the automatic bid? Can they have any hope here? Oh, they totally do. During the middle of that losing streak, all the way up until, I'd say, the Northwestern game, people still had them pegged as like a bubblish team. Now they just earned two quadrant one wins, which we know the committee values a ton. You know, they finish up, they face Illinois, eh, Rutgers, eh. Those are two games, you know, theoretically they should win, but we don't know how good they actually are. They win those two games. They win one in the Big Ten Conference Tournament. They might sneak in, even though, you know, they are objectively bad. 
And it's going to take, I mean, this is what we're saying. It's going to take a couple of wins in Chicago. They're going to have to beat somebody like Michigan, like Maryland, like Iowa, et cetera, Michigan State a third time if it were to happen. They're going to have to beat a couple of those uh, for this to happen. I mean, uh, even with the two wins this weekend, they're, they're still, uh, I mean, they're, they're in desperate need of neutral floor wins at the United Center against quality teams. Or the selection committee, I have to believe, looks at them and says, you just lost too much against these teams that are going to take your place out of the Big Ten in the NCAA tournament. Well, it's, it's tough, right? It's going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, it's going to be the, how much they value those quadrant one wins. Because they're going to have more of those than Oklahoma does, even though Oklahoma's going to have the better, I guess, overall resume. They didn't have that giant losing streak. Um, but if they do win these two games, and say they get two in the Big Ten Conference tournament, then all of a sudden it doesn't look so bad. It, it's, it's, it's a comp- Now, if they drop one of these next two games against Illinois or Rutgers, I think we can put this whole entire issue to bed unless they run the tournament, uh, the conference tournament. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you here. They have to sweep these two games. Then they have to win at least one in the conference tournament. But I don't think this is so unrealistic that it's not going to happen. I think one, I, I am of the belief, one game in the Big East, oh yeah, the Big Ten tournament gets them in. Yeah, maybe maybe more than one, but you're saying one. They've got 14 losses right now. So the next loss short of the automatic bid is a 15th loss. Can they get? Can the Hoosiers get in with 15 losses at large? Uh, we're going to find out. If uh, if they are able to do that, all right. So I asked Mark this. I want to ask you this right now. Subject to change, we don't know the Tuesday results. We're taping in advance, obviously, of Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, give me your top four, your number one seed line. Who are the Joe Nardone number one seeded team? Subject to change over the next thirteen, fourteen days before Selection Sunday. Oh, yeah, it's definitely going to change. And some of these teams are going to devour each other in their conference tournaments. So I have Gonzaga. They should run the table here at this point. I feel pretty safe saying they'll get a one. Then you kind of pick two of the three ACC teams. I'm going to go with Virginia. Then North Carolina. They think Duke's going to you know keep playing the rest of the Williamson game. And then I'm going to go Tennessee. So I have Gonzaga. Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee. What about if Michigan, if Michigan beats Michigan State and, let's say, makes the championship game of the Big Ten tournament? Is Michigan deserving of a one seed at that point, having won the Big Ten and making the title game? What say you? Uh, it, well, I mean, it probably depends what happens with Tennessee and then how the ACC plays out. Because I, right. I'm of the mindset that two of the three top-tiered ACC teams are probably going to get the one seeds, but if two of them drop early in the conference tournament, then Michigan rise up. I'm also assuming here Tennessee, you know, runs the gauntlet in the SEC tournament as because I feel like if Kentucky jumps them, then Michigan will actually jump Kentucky and get the one seed. So it's a lot of moving parts still. And like I said, like these guys are going to devour each other in their conference tournaments. And it's basically going to be in the ACC, whatever two teams finish the best, and the same thing with the SEC, whatever one team between Tennessee and Kentucky finishes the best. But if it is Kentucky and Michigan runs the table, I see Michigan jumping Kentucky. Voice of Joe Nardone, cbbtoday.com. Love his site and the insight. Again, uh, they churn out a lot of great stuff uh, this time of year, men's and women's game, uh, especially with the conference tournaments coming, the end of the regular season, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so a lot of talk is going to be, and again, at the time we're talking, we don't know what's going to happen with Zion Williamson. You might know what's happening. Joe and I don't know that at the moment about when he's going to be cleared. Duke playing Wake Forest. Forest on Tuesday night. You may already know that he played in that game in Durham. Then again, maybe he didn't play. You may know that. We don't know that. What's your educated speculation? Let's say hypothetically he doesn't play at home against Wake Forest. What are the chances we see Zion Williamson try it on the weekend in the closeout game against North Carolina on Saturday? Gauge that at the moment. What do you think, Joe? If I had to take an educated guess here, they're going to wait until the ACC tournament just because there's no reason to rush him back. I, I, I just wrote about this, actually, where despite going to, if you count the North Carolina game, which, he, you know, he left 31 seconds in, they went 2-2 two and two in this time frame without him. But what we're seeing is guys are not necessarily developing, but they're learning their roles, right? R.J. Barrett, we already know he's a high-volume guy. He's a guy that's going to, you know, high usage and all these things. He's actually been even a little bit better, a little more efficient since Zion's been gone. He's rebounding at a higher rate. He's also, you know, giving – his assist rate's way higher. Then you have Cam Reddish, who's probably one of the most talented players in the nation, but also one of the least consistent. He had that 
stinker against Syracuse where he scored only five points. But he's also find, found like a little bit of a role. And I think the big thing Duke found out was that Trey, jo- Trey Jones, regardless of Zion there or not, is an, actually a weak link on offense. Teams are sagging off. Teams were already sagging off him when Zion Williamson was playing, you know, to protect the pick-and-roll situations there. There was no reason to give Zion an open lane. Now what they're doing is they're like, they're begging him to shoot three-pointers. And his score, his averages have actually dropped since Zion's been, that, been out. And you would assume they'd go up because they need his usage rate to be higher. But I think Coach K, Duke, everybody around there has figured out Trey Jones might be one of their issues heading into uh, the postseason. Yeah, could be. All right, so a fun one on this. We don't know what the committee's thinking for sure. You know, sometimes they stick to all the criteria. Sometimes they do not. Again, uh, the Stanford athletic director, Bernard Muir, is the chair of that committee. And you've got a great cross-section of athletic directors, uh, conference commissioners, things like that that are on that committee. If North Carolina, let's say hypothetically Zion Williamson doesn't play, North Carolina gets the win and they sweep Duke, are they going to be docked slightly for, hey, you beat them twice, but you beat them without having to play Zion Williamson? It doesn't mean as much for potential seeding in the NCAA tournament. How do you think they're looking at that and viewing that under my hypothetical that Zion doesn't play either game against Carolina and Carolina wins both? Oh, man, that's a tough question. Here's how I view it, right? If North Carolina sweeps them, even if they want to use the Zion excuse, there's almost no possible way you could you could, you could could possibly seed Duke higher. And since they're both realistically fighting for one seeds, and Virginia's obviously in this mix, as I mentioned earlier, only two of the three could get it. So if North Carolina's sweeping Duke here with or without Zion, they have to drop to the two seed, provided Virginia, you know, also plays well here in the tournament. So... I get the idea of it, and they've done it in the past where they wouldn't dock like it happened with Duke, actually, when Coach K was out there. They actually, you know, put that into consider, consideration when his back was hurt and he missed some time. We're not going to really punish them for that. However, North Carolina shouldn't really be docked against for a player on the other team going down at this period of time with the resumes as similar as they are. So if they sweep them, yeah, North Carolina has to get the better seed. And let's see what happens in that ACC tournament as well, because remember, Duke has the sweep over Virginia in this instance, and so Virginia kind of needs some help in that regard for Tony Bennett's team. So uh, we'll find out. And you, I know you've written on CBB today that there's there's no team right now across the land that wants their opening round game more desperately or quicker than the Virginia Cavaliers to get the taste of Maryland-Baltimore County out of their mouth, UMBC, who beat them as a 16 seed last year. Uh, I mean, at this point, Virginia doesn't care if they're playing a 16 seed, if they're playing the Warriors, or if they're playing Martians <laughs> on the moon. They want to play somebody and get the taste out of their mouth, uh, if they can, for the NCAA tournament. Uh, we will find out. All right, one more for you, a fun one, because, again, you, you purvey all of college basketball. Give me a team, not a powerhouse brand name, a Duke, Virginia, Carolina, and the ACC, a Kentucky, Tennessee, Michigan, Michigan State, Villanova, Kansas. Uh, pick one brand name. Give me somebody we're not talking enough about right now as we head into March, and they're dangerous, and we should watch out for them. Give me a team, please. All right, so this would be the super hot take pick or whatever of the week. It's Sienna Saints. Um, they're going to have to win the MAAC to get in. Obviously, that's a one-bid league. It ranks like 30th uh, overall conferences. It's a very bad conference. But they have this kid, Jalen Pickett. He's a freshman. He is legitimately a budding superstar. He came into the year. He wasn't ranked as a prospect. Then all of a sudden, he popped in as a three-star very late. Sienna grabs him. He's probably like a year or two away from being an NBA-level player. He's a guy that they play a very Virginia style of basketball, right? Very plodding, very slow. But they also have this guard, this electric young point guard, he's six four, six five. He goes sixteen points, seven assists a game, five rebounds. They have other players as well. They have they have experienced coaching staff. They need to win the MAC to make it. But if they get in there, they'll probably be slotted. If they do, they'll probably be slotted as a fifteen seed. I would not want to face them because they have one of those. Every the old trope, the NCAA tournament's a guard-driven tournament. He's that kind of talent. He's he's already scored forty twice this year. He's the kind of talent that can put a team on his shoulders and will themselves to a one-game upset win. 
All right, you're going to love this. I'm going to go back to a few years ago. What is it? Kenny Hansbro was the player from Siena, and they were in the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. and won a game as a 12 or a 13 seed. And you're saying this Siena team maybe not as highly seeded, but could still be dangerous for whoever's on the two line, let's say maybe as a two against a 15. Watch out, Siena, Saints, Albany, New York, right? Oh, yeah. The, the, the conference tournament starts on the 9th. Uh, well, actually, it starts a couple of days later. They're going to buy there in the quarterfinals against Ryder. Um, it's in Albany. Keep an eye on them. The league itself is bad. So I, I feel like I'm really overplaying this a little bit. But I love this GL and Pickett kid. And if they get in now, he's going to make himself a name in this tournament. And then by next year, he'll be an actual national superstar playing at a super low major uh, conference. That. All right. Joe Nardone again, cbbtoday.com. You can follow him. Joe Nardone on Twitter. Follow CBB Today on Twitter. Check them out. Great website, great resource, and we're going to be announcing some some really cool stuff coming for Championship Week and March. Keep it locked into that site. Uh, Joe, did I leave anything out? Plug away uh, for the site for CBBToday.com. It's March, guys. Everybody just come. CBBToday.com. You won't be disappointed. Uh, no doubt about that. Joe, thank you. Brother, it's, uh, it's all here. Let's see how it all unfolds. It's Selection Sunday not far away mayhem of uh, several hundred games that have to sort out between now and then. Here we go, right? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. I'm excited. Let's get this going. Free Throw Awareness Month is here, and I am proud to welcome back Matt Zimmick with me. Matt does a great job, not only as part of college basketball coast-to-coast and breaking down the basketball. You read him on the website CBB Today. He's also the purveyor, the overseer of Free Throw Awareness Month. Uh, And it is here, my friend. Good to have you and good to start talking about March and the all-important games and the all-important foul shots. Friends don't let friends miss front ends. That is the mantra of National Free Throw Awareness Month. So here we go. Small conference tournaments. Can't wait for the madness and for seasons to either end or continue based on a free throw. Yeah, a lot of times it will come down to that. And and the first of a couple of times during this conversation that the fans need to follow the hashtag FT Awareness Month and also go to Free Throw Awareness Month on Twitter because we're going to be going uh, sideways over missed free throws and teams leaving it all at the foul line. And in fact, right off the bat, Houston Cougars out of the American Conference suffered their second loss of the season and upset with, with ESPN's college game day in the house. Uh, national TV game, UCF knocks them off. Full credit to Johnny Dawkins's crew for making their shots and doing what they had to do. But uh, Matt Zimmick, it was a disaster at the line for Kelvin Sampson's team. 12 of 24 in a game it lost by two possessions. So that, that's exactly how, as uh, the uh, inspiration for Free Throw Awareness Month, Bill Raftery said, free throws can destroy a family. <laughs> a lot of families in Houston uh, were not sleeping very well Saturday night after that display from the charity strike. Especially when you're at home. There's no excuse for it at home because, again, the crowd quiets down. You, you know, it's not like you've got everybody waving behind the basket and they're going berserk in the arena against you. You got to be able to make your free throws. And, um, and there, there's an example of it. Well, I mean, look, Ole Miss is one of the best teams shooting foul shots in college basketball right now. And, and we've been talking on this podcast before you've come on that they're one of the teams we believe that's in in the SEC. That, that is, unless they stumble down the stretch, lose an opening round game in the SEC tournament. Anyway, Ole Miss right now eighth in the country in free throw shooting. Yet they had a front end of the one and one a week ago on Wednesday night against Tennessee and bricked it and set it into motion for Grant Williams to give Tennessee the lead with a made shot. Again, that's one of the best free throw shooting teams in the country, but they had a miss, a crucial miss at the end. It happens, Matt. It does, and this is a key point of strategy that we're going to be talking about and watching a lot in this next month of madness. And that is that if you trail by two, four, six points with like two minutes left, and the other team is in the one-and-one, not the double bonus, but the one-and-one, coaches need to make sure that they give fouls in the one-and-one to make sure that the opponent has to protect its lead by making front ends. You know, Because if you force a team to make a front end, you reduce uh, the situation from – you know, hoping for a split pair, 
you reduce it to, you know, if he misses that first one, that front end, which we call a burnt end, uh, <laughs> if he misses that, if he misses that one free throw, you get a possession. So it's important for coaches that are trailing by a few baskets late, uh, and, and if their opponent is in the one and one, you need to use all three of those one and ones after the seventh, eighth, and ninth fouls. Those are poker chips to use. So you don't need your opponent to make one of two to miss one of two free throws. If your opponent just misses that first one, you get a possession. So it's important for coaches that are trailing by narrow margins to foul in the one and one and make sure that they leverage situations in that manner. So we're going to be talking about that strategy for this next month. Yeah, no doubt. As part of Free Throw Awareness Month, again, the hashtag is FT Awareness Month on social media. Uh, you can figure that out also at Free Throw Awareness Month on Twitter. We're going to have, we've got merchandise. We've got shirts to give away. You can go to tpublic.com for t-shirts, T-E-E, tpublic.com, and check them out under Free Throw Awareness Month or FT Awareness Month. Check out our merchandise, our shirts, Friends Don't Let Friends Miss Front Ends. Uh, then it has the January, February Free Throw Awareness Month, April, May. Uh, the, the same thing that you just uh, recited from Bill Raftery as well with the uh, free th- uh, Miss Free Throws Destroy Families and his likeness as part of Free Throw Awareness Month. Get your school colors, in particular if your team shoots them well. And really, and Matt, real quick, there are some teams that are doing it well. I mentioned uh, Ole Miss, NCAA tournament caliber team, eighth in the country. Uh, South Dakota State is leading their conference. They're sixth in the country in foul shooting. Gonzaga has stormed through the West Coast Conference. They're 12th in the nation out of over 300 teams in free throw shooting. Tennessee, 16th in the country in free throw shooting. So there are some teams that are doing it well right now, and we hope they continue to do it well, at least for their sake in March, because it can be the end of you in March is, is what we're talking about if you don't make them. Absolutely. And here's an example from this past Saturday. You know, Florida State has a chance to get a double bye in the ACC tournament. That's pretty incredible for a football school to be on the verge of getting a, a number four seed in the ACC tournament behind Duke, Virginia, and North Carolina. Florida State hit 77% of its foul shots in a five point win over North Carolina State, 78 73. Uh, FSU outscored North Carolina State by seven points at the foul line because it was able to hit 77% of its shots. And Florida State starters were 15 of 17. So that's locking it down at the line, and that's why Florida State was able to stay in the hunt for that number four seed in the double bye for the ACC tournament. Point well taken there. Again, Matt Zimmick with me for just another moment or two, talking free throw awareness. You also read Matt, cbbtoday.com, writing not just about free throw shooting, but all of college basketball as the month of March is here. Uh, By the way, big win also for Cincinnati on the weekend, and you talk about volume of free throws. They tried 36 of them. My Memphis Tigers, my alma mater, only tried 10 of them. Now, Cincinnati almost let that lead evaporate they led by as many as 10 in the final three minutes they missed 13 foul shots Matt Zimmick way too many at home at the fifth third arena on campus there but they escaped with a two-point win again keep an eye on Mick Cronin's team you cannot miss free throws like that it will be your undoing uh, here in these situations all right I think we've pretty well covered it um, again, we talked about some of the better teams in, in foul shooting. These are teams that they've got to be much better, uh, especially when we're talking about the stretch run and March. We'll give you a couple of them that are in the 300s that are hoping to be NCAA teams. Uh, this is the stats coming off of uh, off the weekend. Actually, some of these are in and around uh, the 250s or worse. Syracuse, 267 in foul shooting. Alabama, 277. Baylor is 280 in free throw shooting. We believe these teams are either in or on the bubble. Free throw shooting, though, has been... Uh, let's just say an adventure for uh, for most of them so far this season. And then we get to the teams that are in the 300s. We've been talking uh, all year about Wisconsin um, as, a, as an NCAA tournament team. Wisconsin right now, Matt Zimmick coming off the weekend, is in the 300s yet again uh, for Greg Gard's team, one of the better teams in the Big Ten. Uh, you got to be better than 330 right now. 330, a good time of day, not good free throw shooting. You, that UCF team that escaped in the win over Houston, Matt, 332 in foul shooting. That's going to come back to haunt you if you're trying to be an NCAA tournament team. 
Absolutely. And of course, you know, just the margins are so much smaller when you deal with those three front ends. You know, coaches always hope and pray that when you get to the seventh, eighth, and ninth team fouls, that you get a shooting foul so that you get two shots and you don't have to sweat out one of those front ends. But, and so we just, I just can't reiterate enough that uh, coaches need to tactically use those, you know, when they trail. And so for a team such as UCF, especially if, you know, if like Taco Fall, you know, they're seven, six giant, you know, and trusting him to a dunk. Yeah, that's good. And trusting him <laughs> to a free throw, not the same proposition. So I love it. Um, but these margins are so small, and that's what we love about March, of course. It is free throw awareness. But again, Kansas State, 310 in the country in free throw shooting, trying to win the Big 12. Ouch, babe. Arkansas teetering. Can they get into the NCAA tournament conversation? They're 314 in free throw shooting in the entire country. Arizona State, 301, trying to make the big dance out of the Pac-12. Free throw awareness month. We love it. Plug it one more time, Matt Zimmick. Friends don't let friends miss front ends because free throws can destroy a family. That's why we observe American Free Throw Awareness Month. And that'll do it for this edition of College Basketball Coast to Coast. My thanks again to Mark Wise joining me earlier in the podcast, Matt Zemick talking Free Throw Awareness Month, and also Joe Nardone of CBB Today, that great website, our partners here as part of College Basketball Coast to Coast, uh, as everybody's giving out their info on their number one seeds, what's going to happen for Selection Sunday, uh, these different conferences, SEC, ACC, who's going to win the Big Ten regular season? Might it be Michigan before it's all said and done? We're going to find out. Again, enjoy all of the college basketball as it plays out the rest of this week final weekend of regular season play in the major conferences and in some of the smaller conferences we're already giving out automatic bids coming this weekend can't wait for that can't wait for the next edition of college basketball coast to coast thanks also to our sponsors lrt sports don't bust your bracket uh, you, you do want to bust your bracket instead of busting your recruiting process. And uh, just remember, a great resource. One stop for it right now. Don't get lost in the madness of the, of the whole recruiting process. Go to lrt-sports.com and find out more about that recruiting process, whether you're a high school athlete, whether you're a parent that has one, whether you're somebody that's listening that has a friend that has kids that are high school athletes looking to go to the next level of college for signing day, go to lrt sports.com that will do it for this edition of college basketball coast to coast i'm your host tj reeves thank you to my guests enjoy the games for later this week it is the month of march and we cannot wait to keep talking more about conference tournaments and eventually selection sunday and the ncaa tournament coast to coast